0: I'm Martin Reeves, chairman of the BCG Henderson Institute, and welcome to our Thinkers and Ideas podcast, where we discuss important new books and ideas in business. Joining me today is an old friend, Andy McAfee. He's a principal research scientist at the MIT Sloan Management School. He's co founder and co director of MIT's Initiative on the Digital Economy, has written much about all aspects of business, but especially the digital economy, and several best selling books, including More from Less and The Second Machine Age. But Today is here to discuss his latest book, a book that's about to come out, which is called The Geek Way, The Radical Mindset That Drives Extraordinary Results, coming out from Little Brown and Company in November of 2023. In it, he discusses a new approach to corporate culture, what I might call a corporate operating system, and he describes this as the geek way. So that's what we're going to dig into today.
1: So I look forward to discussing that with you, Andy. Congratulations on the book and welcome. Martin, thanks much. And I love the phrase that you used. I tried to describe the geek way as the operating system for a business, but my editor and my publisher thought that was a little too geeky, actually.
0: Uh, we can swing back to that if we like and choose our own words. Good. So I think you know, one of the interesting big ideas in your book is that we all know that Silicon Valley is the center of the global technology industry, and that's tremendously important. But essentially, in my interpretation, you're saying, well, it should actually be famous for something else, which is originating a new culture or a new operating
1: system? Is, is that the
0: basic idea?
1: Yeah, Martin, you nailed it. And the reason I wrote the book was I became convinced that we were overlooking maybe the most fundamental innovation to come out of Silicon Valley over the past half century, which is an innovation in the company itself, in this operating system. Or I don't love the word culture, but it's probably appropriate here. A set of practices and norms and approaches for getting important things done my book is about how a bunch of geeks largely clustered in northern California iterated and experimented their way into a better operating system for a company. I think they they have upgraded the company.
0: Great. So let's jump into that. So what is the geek way? You've got these four tenets, the four pillars of the geek way. What are those pillars?
1: One way to make this fuzzy notion of culture concrete for me is to talk about norms, and every culture has norms. They're community policing. They're the things That the people around you expect of you, whether or not the CEO just gave a speech about it and whether or not they're in the employee handbook. And to me, as I walked around these companies that are just changing the world so quickly and so thoroughly, I started to notice that they had very different norms than I saw at the companies that were on top during the industrial era. And so the four norms that I talk about in the book, these four kind of expectations about how the company is going to operate, are speed, science openness and ownership so two with s two with o great so let's let's see if we can
0: decode those a little bit so so science is about sort of evidence-based progression and,
1: and learning is that the idea partly lots of companies say that they're data driven and that's it's important we make better decisions as we have better evidence in front of us but the other half of science is arguing about the data is sitting around Talking about what it means. You think your interpretation is X, mine is Y. What test are we going to do to tell which of us has the more accurate view of the world? Like you know, in the book, I tell the story about New Coke. New Coke was a data driven decision. They did some version of the Pepsi Challenge back in the 80s and decided to change the formula for Coke, this iconic part of America. It was a terrible decision, but it was data driven. What they didn't do, they didn't do the other essential part of science which is to get their ideas and their evidence and their conclusions in front of other people and hash it out as a group.
0: So That's what a biologist might call the selection principle, then. It's the challenge, it's the selection of the best ideas, not just having ideas based on data.
1: Not just having ideas and not just being confident that you've got the best idea because you've gathered the data. You've got to go subject them to peer scrutiny. And peer review, I think, is the underappreciated part, this arguing back and forth.
0: My wife actually took a Silicon Valley job after having done traditional business, and I asked her, before you forget your first impressions, like, what's different about a Silicon Valley meeting? And she said, well, people don't say, where's your PowerPoint? What's your story? They say, what's your objective function? Where's your data? And what's the result of the A-B test? Is this, is this sort of essentially what you're pointing to?
1: Absolutely. And those discussions, I believe, tend to be more egalitarian in Silicon Valley companies. Junior people are more comfortable challenging people higher on the org chart. They think it's part of their job. Martin, you know, science doesn't work perfectly, but it's an inherently an egalitarian enterprise at its heart. And I think the geeks have taken that egalitarian spirit and kind of and run with it more than I see elsewhere in the economy.
0: And I guess that links to a second principle, which is ownership. You seem to mean by that sort of Delegation or lack of hierarchicality, lack of instructions flowing from the top and more instructions emerging from this debate that you just referred to?
1: Yeah, for me, ownership does involve devolving authority, but maybe even more fundamentally, it's about not doing some things that industrial era companies are really fond of. Not having a ton of coordination, not having a ton of process over the top of everything, communicating cross-functionally less than we are used to. Martin, your career is long enough like mine. We remember the heyday of business process reengineering, where you're just going to design every interaction in the company and then embed them in software. The geeks realize you need some of that, but they also realize that it can become a thicket. It can easily turn into bureaucracy and sclerosis. And they've actually run away from a lot of the coordination and communication and cross-functional specialization that I was used to seeing. And they have a much more decentralized Chaotic, in a sense, approach to doing.
0: Yeah, one of the words I'm most worried about in business is alignment, because obviously, in some cases, it's a very good thing, but it can be extremely costly. And I guess that relates to another one of your principles speed. If you don't have all of this standardization of
1: process and oversight and coordination and double guessing, probably you can move a lot faster. Exactly. And if you're not expected to run your idea through eight different people, and if you don't have to go through three levels of review committee to make sure that there are no risks involved, you can actually move a lot faster. And I think of the four norms, the geeks are most obviously obsessed with speed. And speed doesn't just mean velocity. It's not how fast you're running toward the finish line. It's the cadence of iteration. How quickly are you getting something in front of a customer, getting feedback on it, and then iterating, doing it again. The geeks are just obsessed. You remember the old motto that they had, which was move fast and break things. When break things became correctly unpopular, they didn't move away from the move fast part of it. It became move fast and fix things.
0: Right. Now, openness is your fourth pillar. Do you mean openness within the company, sort of openness of silos within a company, or do you also mean openness to digital ecosystems and so on, ideas from beyond the
1: company? Primarily the former. Openness for me is the opposite of defensiveness. And we design our companies in general to be too defensive. Don't admit you're wrong. Don't admit that you need to pivot away from your preferred idea. Don't shrink your budget. Don't shrink your head count. Just never admit that your project was a bad idea from the start. Now, of course, some of that happens in geek companies, but they do take the idea of a pivot very seriously. They do take the idea of radical candor and of being reflective and realizing and admitting when things are not going well. I think that's a pretty big departure. So I'm wondering, Is this
0: identical to the agile software philosophy or is there some additional element that you're highlighting here? Because agile does contain the idea of the speed that the digital technology gives you. It is somewhat devolved into tribes rather than sort of top-down organizations. There is frequent iteration, so there's something about the clock speed. Is, Is there something that the agile philosophy is missing that you're pointing out?
1: I'm pointing out the org structure that goes along with it, this very inherently decentralized as opposed to centralized one. I'm talking also about the way that a team comes together and makes a difficult decision via peer level argumentation. And I'm talking about this attitude of openness and a lack of defensiveness. So agile is absolutely about a fast cadence, but I think the geeks do other things in addition to that, that make a huge difference.
0: Right the major implication of your book well at least i saw it as a major promise of your book although you, you didn't actually say this that this could potentially apply to many other types of business too so so clearly this is the dominant operating model of technology at least in, in silicon valley do you see this as being something that in principle could be applied to more traditional businesses
1: oh absolutely i have trouble thinking of places that wouldn't benefit from a bit more of the geek way martin i've lost track of the number of ceos who have said we run a technology company now Great. If you run a technology company, and I think there's good reason to believe that you do, you probably want to run it like the most experienced, best-run technology companies out there. I look at the different industries where the geek way is already having an impact in some old-fashioned sectors. Think about auto manufacturing. Think about space. Think about aerospace and defense now. There's a chance that healthcare is going to be transformed by the geek way. So it's pretty quickly escaping its Silicon Valley home and it's home in digital tech industries.
0: So certainly one hears the words. So the philosophy is spreading in the sense of the, the language of, you know, moving fast of digital processes and so on. But have you seen a complete or a, or a convincing example of what you might call a geek transformation A traditional business actually matching in absolute terms the, the speed and the, and the devolution of a tech company?
1: You mean, do we have any evidence that the old dogs can learn new tricks?
0: Yes. Well, to a high degree. I mean, obviously, there's a movement in that direction, but
1: to a significant degree. I have one piece of evidence that I include in the book. I had the chance to interview Satya Nadella about his transformation and the turnaround at Microsoft, which I think is one of the most impressive comeback stories I've seen in my career. And if you remember, for the first decade of the 21st century, Microsoft was dead in the water. It had become a slow-moving, sclerotic, idea-killing bureaucracy. The stories from inside Microsoft were legend and they were not very optimistic. And there wasn't a huge sense when Nadella took over that things were about to change, but he really has executed this amazing comeback. And as I talked with him, I just kept mentally saying, check, check, check. He's doing very geeky things. He embraced OKRs, objectives and key results. He fully embraced Agile. He found ways to take away the ability of people to block or to say no to what other people inside the company wanted to do just a beautiful job of leadership so that's my first my prime example that a company can come back from having worked itself into a bad corner
0: I mean I would sort of second the main message of your book which is that when we look at the the option value of growth of the corporate economy globally still technology even for the recent market depression and so on still it's leading It's the majority of the growth potential of the corporate economy so clearly there's some sort of successful recipe here but on the other hand you've got you know allegations of bias of of toxic work cultures, even of uh, sclerosis and complexity and bureaucracy arising in these increasingly large tech companies. Are they sort of peripheral to to the philosophy you're talking about or some of them
1: possible downsides of the philosophy you're talking about? My goal with the book was not to cheerlead for any current crop of companies based in Silicon Valley. And as you point out, the companies that have pioneered aspects of the geek way are very imperfect places. And we see all of the classic dysfunctions creeping in one place or another. We see overconfident CEOs. We see a descent into bureaucracy. We see some pretty bad behavior and places that have the opposite of the psychological safety that you really need for openness. So the point with the book is not that Silicon Valley is a perfect place or that we should emulate everything about it. The point is, I think, much more narrow that that's the part of the world that has been the epicenter of upgrading the way companies work and finding better ways to do fundamental things. We should pay attention to that upgrade. Right.
0: I guess when I challenged myself to think about, you know, limitations to the the philosophy you're laying out, I, I was thinking about especially complexity because... I can imagine that a young technology company that was growing fast would naturally adopt, successfully adopt this way of behaving. But when you reach something the size of, of Google or Microsoft, and you have much more intrinsic complexity in the business, you know, perhaps it's harder to keep the bureaucracy out. And so the simplicity and the, and the speed that you're talking about become harder and harder with, with scale. Is that sort of an intrinsic limitation of the philosophy, or is that just something else that
1: needs to be guarded about? It probably is a limitation to some extent, but look, for example, at Amazon, which is a gigantic company, and even though it has become more bureaucratic from some of the reports that I've read in recent years, Bezos and now Jassy are obsessed with trying to hold that back as much as possible and maintain that very ownership-based organizational structure and philosophy. They might say that complexity is actually, to some extent, a self-inflicted wound. And if you can modularize the company, that is a great way to deal with the complexity of the world, as opposed to layering on top tons of structure and process and bureaucracy, which brings its own kind of complexity with it. The geeks that I learned with, they're obsessed about not repeating the self-inflicted wounds of the industrial era. And, And too much overhead is one of the primary wounds, I believe.
0: Right, and you do indeed make the point in the book that it's not one and done. This is a philosophy that needs to be defended every day.
1: It's constant work because we people, we are overconfident. We've got to guard against that all the time. We crave status. It's one of the most fundamental things about being a human being is that you want to be in the loop. You want to have approval or sign-off procedure. And stripping that out is a very unnatural thing. We can, I can think of all kinds of great reasons why I need to be involved. Actually minimizing that and saying, I know there's an argument, but we're going to continue to be an inherently decentralized high ownership place, that that is tough leadership responsibility, but I think it's an important one.
0: So the Geekway appears to have been successful for Silicon Valley. I'm wondering how culturally specific it is in the sense of national cultures. So the the second locus of technology globally is the East Coast of China. Do you see something very similar there
1: or do they have a very different philosophy? I'm not an expert on the high-tech sector in China. It feels to me like they absolutely practice the great geek norm of speed to a remarkable extent. Their, their cadence is very fast. I would point to another one of the great high-tech centers in the world, which is Israel. And the bit that I know about the high-tech culture there kind of indicates to me that they've got all four of these norms going on. Israelis, I don't think I'm being too broad with, with a, a caricature, they love to argue with each other. They will go at it and they'll do it in a very egalitarian way. The best technology companies in Israel seem to me to have speed, science, ownership, and openness.
0: One of the things I thought about is this, you know, learning through data philosophy, the the A B test and the objective function and so on. It's good for continuous improvement. If you have something that works, you know, if you have a sort of an Uber taxi service and you want to make it better, you can see the path there pretty easily. I'm wondering whether it's also good for the creation of discontinuities, new new ideas. So in other words, at the beginning of a Silicon Valley company, when they come up with a big idea, there's nothing yet to improve.
1: Does this paradigm apply there too? I think a different part of the paradigm applies. I hear what you're saying that just following A-B testing yields incremental improvements. When somebody has an actual new idea, what I think the geeks do is instead of sitting around and refining it and getting the plan exactly right, they go try something. That's closer to me to the norm of speed which is let's go put something out there in the world and learn as quickly as we can from that. The geeks tend to do that much sooner and much more aggressively than the incumbent companies that I'm used to. Take Elon Musk and Gwen Shotwell and SpaceX. They are happy to blow up lots of rockets on their way to building the world's first commercial reusable rockets. They are willing to do that kind of failure. And that's a hugely discontinuous innovation.
0: Right. I see what you mean. So this is like a bias to empiricism as opposed to analysis and and deduction.
1: And that's part of the philosophy of speed. Absolutely. Danny Kahneman talks about the planning fallacy, which is that you and I are very fond of our own opinions about what's going to happen in the world. We'll sit around and refine them and do things so they look beautiful on paper. Reality is harsh. And the geeks have tried to internalize that. And they try to get out to reality as quickly as possible.
0: You know, I see myself, for better or worse, as a business strategist. And, you know, I was looking for my favorite word in your book, and it didn't crop up very often. In fact, it, it first cropped up when you mentioned the famous Peter Drucker quote or misquote that culture is strategy for breakfast. What's the role
1: of, of strategy, if any, in this paradigm? Strategy is essential. And when you look at Nadella at Microsoft, he made some brilliant and very bold moves. If somebody had told me that Microsoft would be deeply embracing open source software 15 years ago, I would have laughed you out of the room. So the the strategic moves and smart ones in a technology-rich environment are critical, but I do believe culture eats strategy for breakfast. In the pre-Nadella years at Microsoft, there was no shortage of strategic thinking going on. There was a real shortage of execution that made customers and investors happy.
0: And where does that fit into your paradigm? Because I I couldn't neatly fit that into one of your, your four categories. Is that sort of external to this, what I call operating system, what you call culture?
1: Is that like a different access? Largely is. Maybe the main point of intersection is that the geeks have strategies. They have ideas that they're very fond of. The main thing they try to do is test them against reality as quickly as possible. So the, the strategy formulation and execution process might have a lot more of that bias for action that we were talking about earlier. Martin, if you had told me 10 years ago that I'd be writing a book about corporate culture, I would have laughed in your face. It's the last subject I ever thought I would write about. But as I tried to pattern match and figure out what these companies that were just changing the world and just beating incumbents badly on the incumbents own turf over and over, when I really tried to to understand or think about what they were doing differently, the answers were cultural answers. They were not technological answers and they were not strategic answers. And if we look around at the industries that are starting to be transformed by the geeks, and these are large incumbent industries, autos, space exploration, aerospace and defense, Unless the incumbents learn some lessons, I think we're going to see history repeat itself. Right. My
0: word's not yours, but if I try to intersect strategy with your paradigm, it seems to me that you're talking about the mechanics of competing on the rate of learning as opposed to competing on, on position or static advantage. Would that be a good way of sort of thinking? Uh,
1: probably, but to figure out if your brilliant plan for building a two-sided market is, is going to succeed or not, get out there and learn that as quickly as possible. Right. I think you make a convincing case that, you know, this is
0: the second contribution of Silicon Valley towards this sort of cultural operating system of science and and speed and so on. But will what has gotten them there get us there in the future? Because we have new problems now, right? We have the social blowback against technology in various ways. We have unequal society. We have the impingement of of politics on, on strategy. And we have an elevated cost of capital, experimentation. The experimentation you talk about is just a lot more expensive nowadays. Do you see this paradigm being future robust or might it evolve into a different philosophy? After all, you're, it seems to be you are building on the science of cultural evolution here. So I'm wondering what is the further evolution
1: that we might expect? And that's a great question. And I don't know what the next evolution of the company will be, what the next really important tweaks to the operating model of the company are going to be. I think a new crop of geeks is going to show us that. And then the job of people like you and and me is to go out there and try to understand what's going on. What I can say with some confidence is that the operating system of the industrial era is not going to make a comeback against the geeks. This planning heavy, top-down, command and control, fairly hierarchical, fairly bureaucratic approach to getting things done, where instead of testing everything against reality, we rely on the judgment of alleged experts that model is not going to make a comeback against the geek way. Now, what comes after the geek way? That's fascinating. Let's stay tuned.
0: I think I agree with you, Andy, on the industrial era philosophy. But, but just to play devil's advocate, I'm, I'm reminded of, you know, the economist's definition of economic irrationality, you know, that which doesn't fit with an economist model. And, you know, for all of its much predicted uh, and many times predicted demise, you know, hierarchical coordination has shown a remarkable persistency and uh, universality. Is is that a a bug or is there some ecological rationality to
1: to the bureaucracy we like to bemoan? Thank you for this because I quote Max Weber in the book saying that it's lunacy to think that you're going to get the work of an organization done without some bureaucracy. Absolutely. Paperwork is part of getting things done. And you remember the Zappos experiment with holacracy was, was a catastrophic failure overall. So the geeks talk about minimum viable product, right? You hear that all the time. I think there's also minimum viable plan. I think there's minimum viable structure and bureaucracy. But what I think the geeks are rightly obsessed about is finding out what that minimum level is and trying not to go above that, trying to make sure that their companies don't become encrusted with needless bureaucracy and all kinds of delays and all kinds of pointless overhead. I sense that's a really deep fear that they have, and I think it's a well-placed fear.
0: Yeah, well said. So supposing I'm a CEO of a very traditional company, and I'm, I'm thinking, yes, I want to adopt this operating system. That's an enormous transformation, and we know that most corporate transformations fail. Where would I begin? How would I conceptualize going about that enormous
1: project? One of the first things I would do is ask my organization what they think about science, speed, openness, and ownership. In the book, I include questions at the end of each of those chapters that you can ask your workforce. And I just got the results back from a industrial era standout, just one of the iconic manufacturers of the industrial era. And I found it fascinating because the people in the know at that company, for example, are not saying that they're oriented towards speed right now. So I think a quick diagnostic can be very useful for you. And then one of the other really important things that you can do if you're a leader and you want to start becoming geekier, just act more like a geek yourself. Display openness. Ask questions about data. Run a meeting in a science-heavy way. Devolve some authority. There are some great projects going on. There's Bob Sutton at Stanford, who's part of the Friction Project, where they just take stuff out. It's the same thing that Elon Musk talks about with the algorithm. We can read about that in the Walter Isaacson book that just came out. So there are some concrete, tangible things that you can start to do to move in a geekier direction. I think the most fundamental one is just start acting like a geek yourself.
0: Unfortunately, we're nearly out of time, Andy, but just to end with a few more personal questions. Did you reflect on your own profession of academic research or my profession of consulting and
1: think about how these lessons might, might apply to these sort of softer professions. Absolutely. When I was writing the book, I tried to be geekier with my editor at Little Brown, Purnoy Sarkar, who did a great job on the book. And he and I would toss chapters back and forth as opposed to me sending him a batch of three or four and then waiting for his feedback on it. So that worked. However, I wrote this entire book about how we humans are chronically overconfident and we get our deadlines wrong. We just miss deadlines all the time. Martin, did I hit my first deadline for the manuscript? I absolutely did not. This stuff is difficult, and you have to keep trying to be geeky to get any traction with it.
0: Is there a next big project? You've covered quite a a broad array of topics in your career. Is there a next project in mind?
1: I've learned that I'm not happy unless I know the next book that I want to write, and I don't exactly know the next book, I think this era of generative AI that we've just entered is profoundly interesting. It's gonna take us into some unknown territory and that, that excites me because a question that I don't know the answer to means it's probably a, a great project to work on. I think somewhere down the road, before too long, we're also going to get real quantum computing and that is a world-changing event. And trying to wrap my arms and my mind around that sounds like a fun project, so we will see.
0: Great, so we'll, we'll have you back to talk about either of those topics for sure. I look forward to it. So congratulations on the book, Andy, and thanks for joining me today. Martin, thank you for having me. It was a great conversation. I've been discussing The Geek Way, The New Radical Mindset that Drives Extraordinary Results from Little Brown and Company comes out in November 2023 with Andy McAfee. I think a very provocative book about a very big idea, a more effective operating system that will replace industrial era operating systems that Andy argues is applicable to to any company. So I would definitely strongly recommend any leader picking up a copy of this book. If you like the conversation, make sure you're subscribed on your favorite podcasting platform. And as always, we welcome your feedback.